0: started following the rules more in order to have a certain life of comfort. And no matter what I did, it wasn't fulfilling me.
1: Hey, y'all, what's up? This is Aaron LeBauer. Welcome to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast, the number one show for passionate physical therapists looking to start and grow an even more successful physical therapy practice without the headaches or conflict of interest that insurance companies bring. Before we get to the episode, real quick, if you're new to the show or haven't picked up your cash PT checklist yet, then you're definitely missing out. This checklist lays out all the essential steps you need to start a cash-based physical therapy business. If you want me to send that to you, then go to cashptchecklist.com. That's c a s h p t c h e c k l i s t.com. Enter your first name and email and you'll get this essential checklist right away. Thanks, and now on to the show. Welcome to the Cash PD Lunch Hour. This is Aaron LeBauer with LeBauer Consulting and the Cash PD Lunch Hour. And today I have an amazing guest. Her name is Dr. Nicole Coleman. Nicole is a pelvic core specialist, and she's a physical therapist and been in practice for a longer time than I can remember because I haven't known her that long. And I'm excited to have her here on the show to share some insights in cash-based physical therapy, insurance, um, a little bit about what she's doing, building her business and her online presence. And so, Nicole, thank you so much for being here on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you.
0: Thank you, Dr. Labauer. Aaron. Uh I feel very honored to be uh, an invited guest to your show. Yeah. I listen to your podcast all the time, so it's a little surreal right now.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, I mean, thank you. <laughs> you know, I've had a pleasure to get to know you over the last, what, maybe five or six months and seen yeah. some amazing like, changes and transformations in your business and life and what you're doing. And you know so I want to talk about that for a minute but I also want to talk about you know a conversation we were just having the other day about insurance and and how like just kind of the transparency of insurance and how patients don't uh, always see what the other side looks like And so I'm excited for that and we'll get to those questions because first I want you to do is just like tell us a little bit more about you like like why did you get into PT in the first place and what have you been doing for the last few years and and where you know what brought you to this point?
0: I have always wanted to help people, and I took some time discovering what that medium would be. Um, I wanted to go into medicine as a young student at the University of Michigan. That was my, my first intent was to study medicine because I saw that it had wonderful capacity to help people. And I uh, went through and explored several options during my undergraduate years. I ended up studying movement science, which is uh, part of the kinesiology division, and found that I was much more interested in movement and nutrition and the human body. And I realized that physical therapy was a better way for me to connect with and help people because I would have more time to spend with them. And I would have better solutions than a
2: pill or surgery.
0: And so the very first day I observed physical therapy, I knew right away after observing so many other healthcare professions that physical therapy was my calling. On the very first day, I knew that. So that's when I decided I was getting ready to graduate after four and a half years as an undergraduate student. And I applied on the very last day that I could to one school for PT school. And the reason I only applied to one school was because I reached out to all of the schools in Michigan and they were the only one that responded in a way that I felt was congruent with how I wanted to move forward. So on the very last day I applied and just kind of had a, a knowledge that it was all gonna work out because it was a calling. And then I got the acceptance letter on my birthday. So I just knew everything was kind of meant to be. And then I studied physical therapy from there. And early on in physical therapy, one of my best friends told me, Nicole, there's this thing, it was the buzzword eight, ten years ago was women's health. Nicole, you really need to to look into this women's health because you're, it's just you. It has your name just green, slapped right across it, and you need to check it out. So I went to a student event, student conclave that year, and Christina Holliday actually was doing a a presentation about women's health pelvic floor. What is it? What do they do? And the first thing she said was, well, you talk about poop, pee, and sex all day, every day. And everybody kind of awkwardly giggled and, you know, it was a great opener. And my brain just went, yeah, that's my calling. I've always been that friend who would ask my friends about those types of things. So it was just within my, my, my personality. So even in PT school, people knew me as like that pelvic floor girl and um, that women's health lady before I ever even started specializing. Then after I graduated, I got into the specialty and I went through the pelvic floor series through Herman and Wallace. And immediately began practicing pelvic floor and, and knew it was my passion. And four years after I graduated, I had the opportunity to do it full time at Michigan Medicine, previously the University of Michigan Health System, with a mentor, someone who had been started the program at the University of Michigan Health System, now Michigan Medicine. And so I went for it. And just last year, I became board certified. And one step further, I wanted to open up my own practice, and that's when we connected. And I found out about the Cash PT Nation. You reached out to me through your very amazing marketing to, to learn more about your, your upcoming boot camps and mastermind events. And you invited me after a conversation to join in. And I just knew I had to get there, so I made it happen knowing that I might even get fired by right. going. And right. wow, yeah. So I didn't want anyone taking pictures of me, putting me up on social media because I called in sick because there was no way for me to get the time approved off. And the very first day we were there, within about 20 minutes after doing the, the hot peak, I realized I don't want to open a cash PT practice. I want to have even more impact.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's taken a while for me to figure that out. But my main goal is to help physical therapists help other people become better at moving, taking care of their bodies, having decreased pain, and improved quality of life. And I'm doing several things through that to reach out to physical therapists to help them be more successful at what they're already great at.
1: Yeah. So how did you get to that point like of, of realizing that in order to make the impact that I want to make, I can't just do it you know, one patient at a time, I have to actually multiply myself and and teach other people.
0: How I was able to see that was by hearing the stories at the the Mastermind event in the hot seat of these other physical therapy practice owners talking about how amazing it was to get back to what they loved, which was one-on-one connection. Mm -hmm. And I had been struggling for some time with feeling like that wasn't the best fit for me and I was trying to fit myself into that mold into that box and being in a completely vulnerable situation like a big this was a big mastermind event with Greg Todd yourself and Paul Goss and it was a very scary yet exciting opportunity to be vulnerable and have the opportunity for people to reflect back to you what you're you're thinking. And so hearing that those other physical therapists by owning their own practice, they got back to what they loved most, which was that connection with the patient. My brain went, that's not what I really want. So I'm not, Mm -hmm. I don't think I'll be happy if I open up a practice because I want to have impact on more people. And if I treat one-on-one patients, which would be the only way I would ever do it, the most I could I could treat, which was that full-time capacity as a full-time employee was 35 patients a, a, a week. And so multiplying that out, I was like, I'll be able to help thousands, right. maybe not even 10,000 people. But what I've learned over the past eight years since I graduated from PT school and 16 years since I've been studying human movement is that if we don't really get down to the core of the issue you're not going to see improved outcomes. And I really want to help people on a level of, of feeling they've got hope and a better outcome. And I want, I wanted that capacity to reach more people who could then reach even more people.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: you talked about you wanting to help. Is it million? Hundred million. hundred people.
1: million people. Avoid, and- avoid, avoid unnecessary surgery and pain meds, you know?
0: And I thought, how is Aaron doing that by treating patients? And then I realized you were doing something similar by helping other people do what they do best. And then I realized, well, I kind of want to do that, but I want to have my spin on it, which is the pelvic floor now referring to it as the pelvic core as a more all-encompassing
1: approach. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. That's really cool. What, was there something that do you remember, like, was someone say something in, like the light Like switch went ding or, you know, was it, do you remember what that was? Or was it, I know it was at that time, but was it like, you know what I I mean? Like, what do you remember what that was?
0: I had an aha moment. I had a couple of aha moments. And the first aha moment was when I, it was my turn to speak at the, at the mastermind event on the hot seat. I rewrote my question like 17 times because Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to ask. And I knew I only got one question and that was really intimidating. And that's not how you typically run your your mastermind events, but this is how this one was going. And so I felt like I had to get the question perfect. So I, I listened and I rewrote. And finally, when it came to me, I, was, I thought, my question was, do I open my own clinic? That was my question. And then the conversation started moving. And I said, well, I might even get fired for being here.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: Greg Greg Todd looked at me just, so point blank with all the love that comes in his powerful existence. And he said, I hope you get fired. And I knew it came from like the most loving place that I just started. I started falling. I was already crying, but I started crying because it was such, that was a moment of awakening for me that I had to move in a different direction. I just had no idea what that meant
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: because I, 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 I hadn't Lord what that might look like. So that was a big moment. From there it took several several months for me to actually figure out what I was going to do and how I was going to do it and who exactly I wanted to serve. Right. But I think that was the most most important moment that really inspired me to to consider something that I hadn't even considered before.
1: Mhm. That's awesome. That's so cool. It like, is. It, it took me like eight years to
0: get there oh my phone just fell down I I still get chills thinking about it you know and it it was I just felt so grateful because suddenly someone gave me permission to to go against the rules. it's Mm -hmm. kind of how it felt and that was just the first of many 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 conversations that I had with lots of people including you where I needed permission to do something that had never been done before yeah. because I was, I was afraid to break the rules.
1: Are you a rule and follower? Like
0: I'm not a rule follower at heart, but I have been in my, in my adult life been trying to be the mature person that I thought I should be.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I've, <sighs> I started following the rules more in order to, have a certain life of comfort, and no matter what I did, it wasn't fulfilling me. So yeah. it gave me permission to kind of go back to the heart of me, which is to be a little risque in some ways of how I think or what I talk about.
1: Right, that's awesome. Did you like? I'm thinking, like, did you ever get in trouble in school, like, for not following the rules, or we were you just always no. Like,
0: yeah. It's interesting. It's almost like a a pair, like juxtaposition or a paradigm I can't think of the right words my brothers were always in trouble so I learned how to to be outspoken but I was never in trouble mm-hmm. I never had detention I never had Saturday school I had straight A's in school I my teachers always loved telling my parents how like and my coaches how hard working I was and I never talked back and so I think I just found a, a, an outlet for how to kind of cultivate that. And I, I felt like I was losing that the more I was trying to be responsible, you know, get a good job and be an employee and follow the rules and get, you know, get a 15-year mortgage with 20% down and make sure you get good benefits at your job and invest 15% of your salary into your retirement. Otherwise, you're going to be homeless and, you know, unhappy right basically the message that i got so it was almost like out of fear Mm -hmm. i was moving in that direction and it never it just felt like a pair of jeans that never fit quite right and i couldn't understand why why i couldn't make it fit i kept thinking there was something wrong with me until i met this group with this mindset
2: awesome
0: refreshing big Big smell of autumn air in the middle of the woods when no (laughs) one's around. Like when you've been in the city with all the smog and the city smells.
1: Yeah. So what's changed? Like what is your I mean, you quit your job. What are you doing now? Like what's like what's changed in your life? Like where, you know, in just a few months, like
0: Yeah. yeah. Everything. So that mastermind event was uh Memorial Day. Mm Mm-hmm. I flew home that day, Sunday, Memorial Day and connected with a previous employer to, to talk of, you know, I went up to you at the mastermind event and I went, Aaron, I want to quit my job. And you were like, okay. I was like, but and you were like, and do you need me to, do you need me to tell you to quit your job? And I was like, yes, because I still like, I needed permission to start thinking for myself mm-hmm. and so when I when I was flying home, I connected with a previous employer to talk about getting some PRN uh, work. And the very next day I sat down with my my manager. And I just like so calmly just looked at him and said, "It's time. It's time for me to move on. I wasn't even scared about how he would respond or like, I just I just had such clarity that I was gonna do something else, and it was time. And he looked at me with such an exciting, happy look and said, I'm so happy for you. I knew you were gonna do something like this. He said, I'm a little surprised at the timing because up to that point had been a very challenging year uh, in my family and in my personal life. And he said, I'm a little surprised by the timing. He said, But I, I, I know you're gonna succeed. He's like, I wish you all the best. And it was just like the it was just the most peaceful ending. To something that needed to be done it was like closing a chapter starting a new one and it was just like it was almost so seamless that
2: mm-hmm. I felt
0: weird about not being dramatic
1: <laughs> right it's like you're expected to go one way and it's just it's easier and you're like wait a minute there's something sounds like something's wrong <laughs>
0: right? yeah so I quit my job I started my consulting business I have been developing. Several products for my customers, including a pelvic core toolkit with exercises and how to incorporate the the pelvic floor and the core into some basic core training and transitional and functional activities. I'm working on a boot camp and some other educational courses for non-pelvic floor therapists to incorporate some of these questions and techniques into their practice to, to bring it full circle. It's what I want to do is help physical therapists realize that there's this missing piece that no one's talking about. And when they start talking about it, their, their, their patients are just going to respond even better because mm-hmm. they're going to be looking at the whole body and approaching it from a very like collective, holistic standpoint, uh, that this is how their patients are going to get even better. And, we're going to have a conversation about pelvic floor that we haven't had before and turn it into, it doesn't need to, to be like glitchy, not right. glitchy, catchy, like silly. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be silly, although it's, it's it's much easier to talk about when it is, but bringing it into the, the, the practice of practitioners who don't want to specialize, but know that they want their patients to get the very best possible outcomes that they can.
1: Right. What, well, what is it about, I want to talk a little bit more about your business in a moment, but I think this is, is a good segue into what is it about the pelvic floor or, you know, like what is about it that it scares people or, I mean, is it just the whole taboo sex thing that people aren't in touch with? Or is there something about it where it's like, I know people have hard, I mean, it's not like hard to hire PTs, it's hard to hire someone who wants to like treat pelvic floor issues. And people don't go into it as much, and yet it's a very thriving community of therapists and cash practice owners like what is it that's that it, that's like what's the roadblock for most people for to either learning more about it or teaching teaching about it, and making it more part of our curriculum?
0: I think that it's just such a private area of our own bodies mm-hmm. that we don't even talk about it with our friends and our family so talking about it with our clients i think is it's like a tertiary barrier the treating pelvic floor most of the time that first visit was a visit full of
2: tears because
0: mm. people were coming to to me and to other therapists who had been experiencing something very uh embarrassing and difficult to talk about for decades and they either never told anyone about it Or they had told one person and they were dismissed. That happened a lot. Oh, well, you had kids. Of course you're going to leave here and there's nothing you can do about it. Or your only option is surgery. And with failed surgeries as well, what do you expect? You're aging. Mm
2: -hmm. So there
0: was a lot of shame involved with that. But I just think it's something we don't talk about with our own, like closest friends and family, because there's this, I think there's this deep sense of potential shame that goes along with what's normal if we deviate from the normal, which we don't even know what normal is. We just Mm -hmm. assume that we're if anything's going on with our own bodies, that it's not normal or just we don't even know what normal is. So how do we know if it's not normal? So I think there's a lot of barriers of just our own bodies and talking about it with other people. But then also just the, the level of... Of shame that comes along with any type of pelvic floor dysfunction because those are such um, assumed basic bodily functions that we should presumably have control over. Mm-hmm. So it's like if, if, if someone has constipation or pelvic pain, I think that there's this initial stigma of what are you doing wrong? Whereas when you talk about back pain, People say, well, it's a result of my job or my genetics. Like they've already been coached.
1: It's got back. an external, it hasn't. It can have an easily external reason rather than an internal yeah. cause kind of thing.
0: Yeah, the locus of control, I think, mm, is mm. external versus internal with that. and And that's just not there with pelvic floor.
1: Do you think it's yeah. like our society too? I mean, is this the same stigma in Europe or, you know, other countries? Is it? as difficult? You
2: know? Well, I've
0: met several pelvic floor practitioners uh, throughout the years from other countries. So Carrie Bow came and spoke to our team who has published the most number of level 1a evidence that exists to support pelvic floor physical therapy for incontinence and uh, urinary incontinence and prolapse. So I've spoken with her and some other practitioners and I, I think that in the United States, there is a different mentality and approach to it. I just don't know if it's like a cultural thing or a timing thing, because uh, Western Europe, many of the countries are way ahead in terms of overall medical care. And like it's standard care for a woman after a delivery, after she has a baby to get physical therapy with a pelvic floor practitioner. It's just standard care. And we're Still in the United States, we're still one of the worst when it comes to maternal death with delivery.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like there are wow. there are developing countries who have better survival rates. So there there's something lacking in both like the medical community and I think our society that's limiting us from even like starting to explore this even more. Because I think it's it's more talked about.
1: Mm-hmm. In Western
0: mm-hmm. Europe at least. Yeah. I don't know much about other parts of the world.
1: So what is the for someone who is like, I'm not doing pelvic floor, you know. <laughs> you know, or it's like I'm not getting I'm not getting close to that with a, you know, a 10-foot yardstick. Well, you actually have to still treat a patient, but what are like some of the easy things that they can do to either I don't know maybe a address it or b figure out okay does my patient even have a problem you know in this area is right. like what is what are those two like one or two easy things that they can yeah. either ask or you know look for to know okay is this an area where my patients are struggling and I need to either learn more or figure out how to find someone else to help them
0: I think one of the most powerful statements to even kind of open that that topic of discussion is start by saying four out of five people will experience some form of pelvic floor dysfunction in their lives. So it's whether you think it's happening or not, it is. And the, the statistics aren't going to be accurate in saying four out of your five patients are, are going to have some form of it. But know that in, in our lifetime, lifetimes, four out of five people are going to experience some form of it. And that's the number one reason people are admitted to nursing homes is because of urinary incontinence. Mm-hmm. So it is an issue that is going on, first and foremost, just, just to kind of open that topic. Second, if, if anyone is doing any sort of balance or performance or core training, if the, the, the pelvic floor isn't involved in your cueing, you're missing a big part of it. Because the pelvic floor is literally the bottom of the core.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: if you're, if you're not using some basic words, then your patients are probably missing out on a big part of that aspect of pain, performance, power, strength. So those are important to consider. And a lot of people, I'm, I'm finding that a lot of people aren't ready to just start straight up asking patients. Do you leak urine? Do you have prolapse? Do you have pelvic pain? Do you have bowel dysfunction? And so I think that those are all great questions, but maybe not in the beginning. One thing is if a patient offers that information up, hey, I leak when I do my double unders or I leak when I when I do my box jumps in there and cross it or um, I can't jump on the trampoline anymore ever since I had babies because, you know, They might not even use the word, but Mm -hmm. they'll kind of insinuate. So if anyone's offering you that information, that's automatically a sign that they trust you and they revere you as as a a professional, Mm -hmm. highly trained, and they're trusting you with something very vulnerable. So if people are offering that information, that's a great time to start just incorporating some simple things. But if you're treating back pain, hip, dysfunction, any sort of sacral or pelvic issues, groin issues, I, I wouldn't guarantee, but I'm going to go ahead and say I'd be 90% confident that their pelvic floor is going to play some role in it.
1: Yeah. So I think for instance, I talk a lot about how I've seen patients who've already been to PT and or surgery and I massage and all that stuff and they come to see me and I'm like the first person that's seen them. And I know like with, and I want to try to give a, a relation, you know, like a, a analogy um, and it's not my analogy. I want to try to dig the analogy out of you. So it's something like this, like I see those people and I touch them using my hands on techniques and they're like, wow, this is the first time anyone's ever touched me where it hurts. And I recognize that the, some of the pelvic floor therapists I know here in town and around the country are seeing people who are so far down the road that it's like they're, you know, it's like even a further last stop than, than. Labor physical therapy is just like they're like no one knows what they're doing but they have this problem and so they're seeing people that have been had issues for so long are just super chronic but i'm sure there's a segment of the population you've seen or been treating in your time where it's like oh no one ever did this with me and now all of a sudden i can do x y and z is 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 like you know like do you can you tell me what's the end what's the analogy side to that like what is it that that you're seeing or you've been seeing in in your career that people are like oh we did the pelvic floor thing and now I can, it's not even because I was leaking or having painful sex.
0: Yeah. So one thing where I started, which I loved being able to do was collaborating with, at my previous employer, uh, everyone was like very specialized. And so we had people who treated hips and knees. We had people who were fine specialists. We had the pelvic floor specialists. And so all of your patients fell into like the the diagnosis for which they were being referred to PT, you know, you treated that. And I, with a few colleagues, I was working really hard to collaborate that like ortho pelvic floor model. And they would begin to recognize like the, the, the non pelvic floor PTs is what I refer to them as they're specialized in everything else. Is they would realize, hey, this patient, they have back pain and my traditional methods aren't helping them get better. Or there's this one thing that's still bothering them. And they started asking me to do like a consult or a one or two sessions with them. And I had no problem asking those questions. And they were even like informed, like Nicole might ask you some uncomfortable questions and she might offer to do an internal exam. But with them, I think what helped was knowing like if my traditional techniques weren't getting the results, they started to think pelvic floor on the back end. And then a few of the therapists whom I was really good friends with and we spent a lot of time talking about it, they started incorporating pelvic floor cues early on Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and noticed that they were getting quicker, better outcomes. Uh So one of the therapists, was a a certified Pilates instructor. So she taught a a Pilates-based core technique that included cueing the pelvic floor muscles with the entire core and a a breathing technique. And people felt more stable with that way of engaging the core. So as someone who's not gonna go straight in and, and just start asking questions about the pelvic floor or doing even pelvic floor examination, that first inkling of, A, if they're not getting better with my traditional techniques, there's probably something going on literally deeper. The pelvic floor is deeper. Mm-hmm. But then early on, incorporating some simple cues into some exercises that can help people become more aware of their muscles down there and how to train them if they're not already working in coordination with the rest of the core muscles.
1: Yeah, because and- for just like simple balance stuff or even like, mm-hmm. you know, deadlifts and other crazy things?
0: Everything. So they, the research is, is, is growing more and more and more. And there are people who've identified this and are their voices are getting out is anytime that you're walking, the pelvic floor, when it's healthy, activates before heel strike. You don't think about it. Yeah. If you have pelvic floor dysfunction, it activates afterwards. So it's a delayed reaction. So it's a timing issue. So that's going to work anytime you're doing walking, balance, running. Those muscles are working in conjunction with the ground reaction forces, the intra-abdominal pressure, the changes in the the mechanics of the joints, all the way up the
2: chain, from Mm -hmm. the
0: foot all the way up. So as much as core has become a buzzword, I think the pelvic floor as part of the core serves an even more vital role with any of those things. And then with power and athletic performance, mm-hmm. there have been several professional Olympic athletes who've documented their, their journeys where after they had females, after they had kids, they had some issues, they went and got pelvic floor PT and then they, they were doing even better. Triathletes having PRs after children, and and making that connection that they they felt like they had were able to generate more power because they were really using their entire core. Right. So anywhere from your basic function from standing up from a chair to deadlifting three hundred pounds and everything in between and beyond, the pelvic floor is working to some capacity, and if you are aware that your patient has some sort of weak core, everyone identifies that in a different way Then the the pelvic floor is having issues as well. So there's a real simple cue.
1: Yeah. What's the, what's the real simple, what's the most simple cue? Like what, what could we like, you know, I'm going to get back to the business side of this, but I think this is also like just very interesting and important to me too. But you know, so what's the, what's the most simple cue that we could give someone to activate their core? or pelvic core.
0: I love pelvic core. I'm loving that word more. Uh, so there's a whole series of like active exhalation to, to, to activate the entire core, thinking of it as a box. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just for people to start thinking about and identifying those muscles, they're the muscles that for females, they close the opening down there, the urethra, the vagina, and the anus. And for men, it's Pulling that turtle into the shell.
1: <laughs> I like that analogy.
0: Yeah, Paul Hodges, his group. I think he worked with Diane Lee. They came up with that and realized that 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 cueing for men just works. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, I got it. Sometimes it takes women a little bit longer because they can't see anything. Yeah. And people automatically assume that to do a pelvic floor contraction, it's like moving a mountain. And so they often use other muscles like their glute muscles and their hamstrings. So the most simple cue is, is just closing those openings and doing a real gentle squeeze and lift.
2: Mm -hmm. And,
0: and that's a real simple screen. Can you feel that? Can you find it? And then can you release it? And then one level further is now, can you, can you push down as if you were going to push into the chair? That's, the the whole like range of motion Mm -hmm. of those muscles but the most simple cue is close the openings and do a gentle squeeze and lift or pull the turtle in the shell yeah and gentle it's always like 20 times more gentle than than clients think
1: it needs to be right that's awesome and i and i guess like kind of the 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 big take-home is is if we're not addressing it we're going to we're not going to get give our patients as much as they could get out of therapy which then hopefully if we give them more and we can recognize more then our outcomes will be better we'll have more success long term with our patients and even maybe get more better testimonials and things like that down the road.
0: Absolutely. I mean the the potential benefits of this for physical therapists and practice owners is is tremendous because it's kind of like it could put the icing on the cake. As you're already, you've spent thousands of dollars learning all these techniques and you are amazing and it can h- kind of help those patients that struggle or patients who want to get even better get there. It's going to improve your reputation in the community. Mm-hmm. And if you connect with a pelvic floor therapist, they would more than likely, I guess I shouldn't speak for everyone, but if my situation. I had a four month wait list. Yeah. If someone was willing to, to 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 work in conjunction with me, I would have loved to do that to kind of take some of my workload off and then refer back and forth. So it can increase referrals, you can increase your reputation in the community, and improve your patients' outcomes. And like you said, satisfaction kind mm-hmm. of testimonials,
1: right? You know, a,
0: businesses thrive in this model.
1: Yeah, as a practice owner who's not a, a pelvic floor therapist. What's the number one question I could ask you if if Nicole was the practice owner, as a, who is a pelvic floor PT, or just even like as a staff physical therapist at the hospital in town? What's the number one question I could ask you to or to approach you with that would start a relationship where you might send me patients, and then I could have a place to send you? How would I like? What would as you as the receiving person on the end of that relationship? What would you like me to ask you? To get that conversation started?
0: The first thing would be to say, hey, I'm starting to consider pelvic floor as a potential issue with some of my patients with non-pelvic floor identified issues. And I'm trying to learn a little bit more about it. So I wanted to reach out to you to see if you had any recommendations of things that I could incorporate or ask my patients. So first asking them if they have anything to offer you. And then also saying, I would love To have someone to refer patients to when I feel that this is is out of my my scope, so to speak, you know, is that something I can do? Can I send you some patients your way when when I feel like I'm there's something more that I don't quite understand? Mm -hmm. So that's a good way to approach it, I think, and a good question. That's awesome. Um, Because more than likely they'll have patients that they'll want to send to you because. What I found throughout the years is that when you treat someone, when they come to you for pelvic floor issues, you can't approach them just looking at those muscles. You have to look at the whole body in terms of the orthopedics and the, you know, whatever your approach is, everyone has a different approach, but you have to screen the hips to stay from the pelvis, the spine, the fascia, the soft tissue, the ligaments, the, the muscles, and you often end up treating seven different things in an attempt to help their pelvic floor get better. So it it kind of is like a mountain turning into a molehill with with a lot of these people because it's gone on for so long and they've developed maladaptive movement patterns and, you know, just other strategies to get things done because that's what the body will do. So my guess is that they would probably love to do some, some referring back and forth because they're probably feeling a little bit overwhelmed with everything yeah. that their patients are are experiencing and while they're capable almost all pelvic floor therapists have strong orthopedic backgrounds they usually really enjoy focusing on the pelvic floor
1: well i can see also happy. that there's also this triage of i'm the i'm one of the few people that's willing to treat this so why am i going to do like you know a knee mechanical knee pain you know, it's like, let's address what I can address and then find the other person who's gonna help with the ortho issue and we'll work together because you right. know, no one else is gonna, you know, do it. no one else is willing to do this right now for these people. And there's a I mean, you're not the only person with a four month wait list. Well oh, wow. has easily six weeks. I know pretty much everyone I've talked to who's got a pelvic floor practice that's a year old has a wait list and it's pretty which is which is incredible and You know, it's like we need more people willing to work on these issues.
2: (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I always envision just like this this marriage or, or like bonding of specialties, which I would love to see more of. And it was something I was really trying to do before I stopped practicing as a clinician. And I just ran out of time in the day because I had patients to treat. And I think that's the big thing is seeing the opportunity for more collaboration. Mm-hmm. With this, is i don't invite people to become pelvic floor specialists if that doesn't appeal to them wholly because it is a very unique calling but i think that there's a huge opportunity to to sort of so to speak bridge the gap of these areas of the body that all work together and in the end it is for the patient's benefit it's for their outcome. And sometimes we just can't see obstacles if, you know, we don't have that lens.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So That's cool. I want to kind of touch back on something I mentioned in the beginning. And one of the reasons like we were chatting the other day and I was like, we got to get you on the podcast to talk about this because it's, you're not the first person, but it's just, it's, you know, I think, so the other day we were, we were chatting and I think you had a coaching question and we were talking and, you know, I, what what happened? Like, how do I can't remember how we started. It was something about, you know, like what are people, you know, afraid to charge two hundred dollars for? Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and I think part of it is, you know, well, in a, you know, as a hospital, you're in a hospital and PT. You were talking about how much the hospital is charging and how people were, you know, coding public floor is always the easiest game to play, and mm-hmm. what people are in the and the bills people are getting stuck with. And so, can yeah. you can you share a little bit about your experience with that? And because I don't have an experience working in the hospital as an orthopedic PT and having these things. It's, you know, so that perspective was, was, I mean, I've seen it. it's opened my eyes a long time ago, but just reassuring to me that we're all on this right page, no matter, I don't know, it's like how many hundreds of dollars we're charging because people are getting billed thousands of dollars.
0: Thousands. Yeah. I had over the course of five years, I had about four to five patients who had um, denial of treatment. Based on coding issues and also um, plan of care issues, and pelvic floor is unique in this in that most of the diagnoses, at least in Michigan, that pelvic floor therapists treat, are not covered under physical therapy services. You cannot Mm -hmm. treat your stress urinary incontinence or vaginismus or constipation outlet obstruction constipation. And so there was this little game that we were always trying to play was what diagnosis code to use. And we often would refer back to muscle spasm or um, muscle weakness or coordination of muscle, which was a generic diagnosis code. And then what we would struggle with was if they required a specific body area, there was no, no code to add on to that for the pelvic floor. And so it was a, I spent probably one to two hours a week dealing with this every week is recoding things. And those four to five patients, I completely recoded everything in their notes and their plans of care and had them all signed and they were still denied. And what I found out through that was that, that Michigan Medicine, they charge about $400 per 15 minute unit. And so denials based on coding issues of this isn't a physical therapy covered benefit uh that was getting passed along to the patient and Mm -hmm. so there were patients that were getting bills for my services uh, you know over a thousand dollars per visit and it was the most heart-wrenching conversation that I would have with someone was I don't know why this is happening. I've done what I could. I've written letters to your insurance company and they're denying it. And you're left with this massive bill when you thought your copay was $25 or you had a co-insurance of 20%. And it was just heart-wrenching because they would be left with thousands of dollars of bills that they were responsible for. And every time it happened, it moved me further to the cash PT model Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and further away from being part of the problem. And ultimately I knew I ended up having to leave a cat aside from wanting to to have bigger impact. I just couldn't sleep at night anymore knowing that someone might potentially get a bill for services that I would never in a million years charge $1,600 per hour. Right. So when I came to the cash PT world, understandably physical therapists are struggling with charging 100 150 dollars an hour and i just found it important to point out that the value is there because as all of the cash vts i've met in this group at least have spent so much time and money on their education and their skill set and also really care and spend time with their patients and they feel horrible about even the prospect of taking advantage of someone Mm -hmm. but I wanted to point out that the value is so much more than we even give ourselves credit for and that the value is there when people are afraid to charge an entire plan of care what a hospital system would not even bat an eye over charging for one visit
1: right yeah it's insane I mean yeah and I get it and thank you for that perspective because it's you know I think it's really important to point out, and we kind of lose sight of it, especially even as employees, we don't always know what people are getting charged, and it sounds like because of the coding issues, you had a little bit better or more knowledge of that than I think a lot of PTs have spoken with.
0: And I've had the benefit of working at a hospital system outpatient, outpatient clinic, a private practice, outpatient mm-hmm. clinic, private practice with private practice outpatient clinic with a a silent corporate partner and i managed a private um, practice clinic and i have through some of those things been given um like they did an analysis of our of our billing at u of m once i was billing fifty thousand dollars a month and reimbursement was about forty two percent of that so but still A little less than half, so a little less than twenty five thousand dollars, and I was getting paid I don't know six grand a month or something. So the value was there, but we just don't even see it. And then I worked in a private practice and saw all the numbers. And some, like some insurance companies, like half in Michigan, they reimburse forty two dollars per visit.
1: Yeah, no matter what.
0: No matter what you do, or they dictate you can do one one coat of this, one coat of that. You know, so they, insurance companies are dictating the care or the timeline. You have, we have, there are certain policies in Michigan where you get 30 days
1: Mm -hmm. for your
0: entire physical therapy for the year or 60 days. Yeah. There are blue Blue care network plans.
1: And then, but beyond that, you could choose to be self-pay, but people don't see, it's like almost like now you're presented that as an option, I think in some cases, right?
0: Yeah. I don't think. At least in the larger hospital systems, it's not an option because they don't have a self-pay option. In the private practices, you're seeing that more when they're insurance-based, but it's a conversation they're not having until the very end, until benefits have been exhausted, and they want to help that patient transition to like a transitional program for athletic function or, or whatever they're trying to get back to. So it's a conversation that's happening sometimes in some clinics, but not until the end when the conversation is almost at the point about
2: Mm -hmm. why
0: continue now if my benefits are exhausted that's the end right so that conversation needs to happen a lot earlier if that's the model
1: yeah yeah i mean i i we could probably go a whole nother hour about
2: (laughs) oh
0: i feel very passionately about it that's yeah i could talk on and on
1: let me ask you this for anyone listening who's like okay you know what, I don't want to own a clinic or I want to transition from my clinic to doing more online business, consulting, um, helping other, you know, like helping patients, but not doing direct patient care. Like someone who doesn't want to do a, you know, own a clinic and wants to start a business in healthcare or healthcare education, like what you're doing, what would be the number one piece of advice that you would have for them based on, you know, your experience so far with this?
0: If you want to have an impact, I say you need to get on social media. That's where our voices are right now. Uh, nobody's watching TV. You know, if you pull over a room full of people, you know, hey, this morning, what'd you do? Did you go on Facebook or did you turn on the TV in the hotel room? It's astronomical that people are going on social media. So that's mm-hmm. where our voices are. And if you're passionate about something, aside from treating patients, that's where you're going to connect with those people. And so I would say get online and start talking about something that you're really passionate about. Yeah. That's where it comes from. If you're not passionate about something, you're you're just not, you're going to let fear dictate what you do more than the passion of wanting to get your message across and helping people. So I think that's huge.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. And learning
0: to talk to the people you want to help the most. I think that's been such a struggle for me is I want to help everybody. And I I don't know where, who this quote originated from. If you help everybody, you help nobody. So it really is key to, to find out who you want to help and in what capacity, almost more succinct than you really are comfortable with going towards. Mm -hmm. You can always kind of bring it back a little bit. um, But you just can't get any traction or ground if, if you tell everyone you can help everyone because you're not going to have a direct message or a clear message about right. what you do and who you help.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. That's awesome insight. Um, so, Nicole, if, if someone wants to get in touch with you about you know any questions or connecting with you online uh, to learn more about the pelvic core or how they can incorporate some of those things in their business or you know for other questions, et cetera, where do we find you?
0: The easiest way is uh, my Instagram handle is at pelvic floor experts and I have, uh, I'm on Facebook and we're, we're currently kind of redesigning some groups and my business page. So it might be different than (laughs) the name that we're using now, right now it's called male PTs.
1: Yeah. We can, Uh, we'll put the link on the show notes page too.
0: Yeah. But there, you can reach out to me on Facebook as well, and um, Instagram, and my website has my contact information on there, which is www.drnicolecolman.com, no H.
1: Awesome, awesome. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, This has been a, a very insightful conversation for me, and I'm sure for some of the listeners, so thank you for your time. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it greatly. Keep doing what you're doing. You're changing you. the world.
1: <laughs> Trying one day at a time, right? <laughs> <sighs> awesome. Thank you so much. Well, for the Cash Beauty Lunch Hour, this is Aaron Labauer and Nicole Coleman. Y'all have a great day. thanks again for spending your time with us today if you're a new listener then thanks for checking out the show and don't forget you can find all the resources and links mentioned as well as show notes over at AaronLabauer.com. if you found this podcast and information valuable to you we would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review on itunes and a shout out on social media wherever you hang out